Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. We've come out of a break and got straight back into it, into back-to-back races. We've got a review of the Belgian Grand Prix for you today and also we're going to be looking ahead to the Italian Grand Prix on this weekend. So it feels like nothing's changed basically since we uh, went into the break. But um, yeah, it's just good to have some racing back. Uh, As always, I'm joined by Baden, I'm Jawad and yeah, the championship's back on and... um, I guess with the result that we had in Belgium over the weekend, it's probably the result that the championship needed. Yeah, the result the championship needed, and certainly Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel, even if it was a little anticlimactic, you could say that they got the job done, and and credit to them after some real near misses the past few races where they probably probably were on track for victories, you know, in the races or in practices till rain might have caused things to go the other direction. So this time they executed, and now it's up to them again, go back-to-back on home turf. That would be a big moment if they can follow through. Yeah, it would be, and we'll talk more about Monza at the end of uh, the podcast this week. But, um, yeah, as we said, the win that they needed, 17 points now, the gap between uh, uh, Hamilton and Vettel in the championship. But straight off the top, I guess uh, it was an important win in the career of Sebastian Vettel, given that it was um, his 52nd career win. He's got more wins than Alan Prost now, of course. And at the same venue for the same and the same team that um, his idol Michael Schumacher also achieved this feat back in 2001. And you were talking about um, off-air how you witnessed that moment for Schumacher and now for Vettel as well um, in the Ferrari. So certainly a special race to be remembered in his career as well. Yeah, all these milestones do tend to be quite synonymous with Belgium. It's quite appropriate, you could say, given its reputation on the calendar. And for Vettel, you could see it did mean a lot to him and probably the the way that he's... uh, he trickled along for a few years there after the success at Red Bull, and now he's really back in the thick of victories since last season, and who knows where he'll shape up in the all-time stats, but he's not too far behind Hamilton, and who knows how much longer he'll be continuing, so there's a good chance yet Vettel could still end up right up there, something like, you know, more than 70, maybe 80 wins. He's got plenty of success ahead, the way it's looking. Yeah, or can they get to that 91, that... Um Michael himself achieved in his career but um, talking about the race itself so a solid start from Vettel I guess that was crucial but the move ultimately was made going into Lacombe on the first lap so he got the draft um, after Eau Rouge on the Camel Straight and just basically there was no response from Hamilton and it was quite epic actually watching four cars going into Lacombe together with the two Force Indias involved in there as well and um, bold attempt I guess from Esteban O'Connor looking down the inside and ultimately he didn't go for the lunge but yeah um great stuff there and then basically uh from that point Vettel didn't really look back and in the end won by 10 seconds after the pit stops as well so and Mercedes you could say just perhaps gave up in their pursuit Hamilton conceding that they're just quicker on the straights and um I guess this is a big turning point in the championship where you know after Germany Hungary where I guess Mercedes sort of lucked into the wins, you know, with Ferrari throwing it away in Germany with the crash for Vettel. Then in Hungary, the pit stop dramas that they had again and um, not starting on pole position. I guess even though they didn't start on pole position for this race, Vettel just made that emphatic statement that, you know, this is how much we can win by and when the stars align. I think really you can see that Ferrari, when 
they're on song, they're really dangerous, but it's just doing that frequently and for Mercedes, uh, they've, they've capitalised and as a result they've still got a handy advantage there, but they're pretty wary of of where Ferrari's coming from and, and the potential that is there, particularly this weekend. They'll be, they'll be pretty keen to do what they can and again, I guess based on previous years, you see them there. It's a stronghold, but Ferrari's turned that table um, really this season, so I think uh, the expectation is Ferrari will be the ones to beat this time out as well. Yeah, and more on Monza anyway a bit later, but um, going back to Spa, I guess the race was sort of marred by first corner chaos as we had in 2012. It's almost an identical um, crash to 2012 involving the man who was involved in the 2012 crash, Fernando Alonso. But this time he was the one who became airborne and didn't have um, a car go over the top of his uh, his chassis. So we had the safety car, of course, come out as a result of it. But it was Nico Hulkenberg basically just not breaking when he's supposed to, ramming into the rear of Fernando Alonso, who was catapulted over Charles Leclerc. And the knock-on effect of that was that Daniel Ricciardo uh, got hit, lost his rear wing, and then went into Kimi Raikkonen, who ended up with a puncture, and then, of course, some floor damage, I believe. And those two guys were collateral damage as well. So And, um, and Bottas as well was caught up in that. He had a puncture, didn't he, on the first lap? Yeah, so Valtteri Bottas, although he was able to survive and ultimately finish fourth on the day. But, yeah, to lose two big names like Ricciardo and uh, also... Uh, Raikkonen as well from that you know Ricardo's just had a rotten luck run of luck you could say over the past few races and we'll touch more on that when we're talking about Monza but yeah those two out and I guess this is where the um, the big talking point from the weekend was the uh, credit to the halo that the damage seen on the Sauber, the visible damage on the halo of the Fernando Alonso's tyre, basically just smashing it. Um, all drivers were unharmed, and I guess everyone's now saying, you know, the debate is settled, it's put to rest, that it saved a life in Formula 1, potentially. Oh, it's good that it never came to anything more than this, but that's the absolute uh, proof that it's been vindicated, and there'll still be sceptics there who say... Yeah, but it, it, if it was any closer, then it really would have had its worth. But you can see that halo, as far as the um, the strength of it, it really held up. And and I guess it's just more the visceral sight of how scuffed it was. It, it just is a reminder that um, when you put something like that in place, uh, it's just peace of mind for the driver, if nothing else. But just, just for the fact that these accidents, cars can become airborne <laughs> at the best of times and sparse something about the first corner it's pretty low speed but it, they still seem to find a way to to really um have these pretty much close calls and it just would have been a great shame particularly when you consider like Charles Leclerc and the history he's got with Jules Bianchi that would have been an absolute tragedy if something really severe had had occurred there yeah, which we're grateful that it didn't in the end. And the onboard footage you could have seen from Brendan Hartley's car of how close um, Fernando Alonso's wheel was to the cockpit of Charles Leclerc. So, yeah, basically that just puts to rest the um, the debate. And, you know, still people up in arms, I guess, talking about the aesthetical side of it. But, you know, the fact that it's there to do a job, it's done its job. 
I guess we can close that chapter once and for all until we get a better solution to it um, in the future. So all those, a great shame anyway to lose three or five drivers as a result of that on of that first lap chaos. Alonso as well, uh, dogged weekend for McLaren anyway. So, you know, that put to end that weekend and Hulkenberg as well starting outside of position because of a grid penalty too. So it's just a great shame that we had such chaos on the first lap. But Elsewhere in the race, it was quite lively because we had Max Verstappen. He started seventh, of course, for Red Bull and uh, coming home to a lonely third, I guess. Unfortunately, the Force Indias, they couldn't uh, match the pace of the Red Bull, but a solid race for them regardless. I mean, Ocon, we've already said, made that uh, bold look down the inside. Unfortunately, he didn't actually go to execute it. Uh, that would have been something if he had rounded up Vettel and Hamilton on the first lap going into the the third corner, sorry, or fourth corner or whatever. And given the significance of the race, that it was their first race under the new moniker, the racing points or whatever, um, you know, it would have been something. But in the end, they had to sit back for fifth and sixth. And already they've scored enough points, given that they had their points reset. They've scored enough points to catapult them ahead of Williams. And they're only one point behind Sauber as well in one race. Yeah, probably Ocon playing a bit of a longer game there, realising that need to recoup those points, and he could have been desperate, but he already put his um, actual ability to the, the forefront, just being in that position in the the first instance, and he could probably just realise they were valuable points to accrue fourth and fifth there. That That's, again, equaling their, their best haul um, from, or was it... Um, was it Austria? Am I getting confused with Haas? But we had, we had Perez, of course... Um, third at Baku, but that doesn't count towards the constructors now, so this is a handy way you could save for them in their first race, I guess you could say, of the season to, to get them on the way, and who knows whether they could end up back in contention for that fifth in the constructors if they keep pulling in these halls and a track like um, Italy, you wouldn't rule them out from being handy there as well. Yeah, well, I predict by the end of Monza, if uh, they both finish in the points again, they'll probably already leapfrog McLaren even so or Toro Rosso whoever's um lower on the on the standings so yeah great stuff from those guys straight away and um already talked about Bottas I guess P17 he started because of grid penalties again coming back to finish fourth and adding to the constructors championship as well so Mercedes still have the lead in that department too double points for Haas on the day complementing the midfielders who scored as well Solid result, I guess, for Grosjean. Um, talking about mark time, perhaps, but Haas just needs to accrue as many points as they can to actually have a good finish. Yeah, they're <coughs> up and down. Haas, you could say. They seem to have these um, odd weekends where where they can get both cars in the points, and they obviously benefited from some of that attrition around them. But, but for them, it's clear to see they're a lot more consistent, certainly than the first half of the season, and particularly for... Grosjean, if not for his own future at Haas, then in, in the sport to show that he might be worth a lifeline somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. And um, solid uh, because I guess qualifying in the top 10 also helps as well. So to avoid some of that midfield chaos and uh, rounding out the points, it was um, uh, we had Pierre Gasly ninth. And what was encouraging about this race for Toro Rosso is that the Honda motor actually seemed quite competitive especially on those straights and we saw uh, an interesting exchange between Brendan Hartley and Marcus Ericsson battling for 10th and uh, the Sauber of course having the up-to-date Ferrari 
power unit and given that the Ferrari power unit's now the best on the grid, you know, for the the little Honda, the plucky Honda to be um, going toe-to-toe with it on the straights at Spa was uh, quite something to be encouraged by given that progress that the Honda have made this season and I guess Red Bull will be looking at each race now until the end of the season to see um, what they're going to be in for next year as well. Yeah, relatively uh, speaking to the benchmark, it, it's as encouraging as you can take it within where they're tracking. They're still a ways off um, even Renault, I guess, is their their ballpark for the time being. But in terms of Red Bull's um, contrasting between Renault in its current supplier and outgoing and what to expect with Honda, they can already see this year that that collaboration with Toro Rosso has served its purpose and that in extensive data that they've probably been able to, to glean. Um, I think really Max Verstappen talks about not expecting titles, but as long as the car and the engine is reliable and Red Bull has a sound chassis you can expect to see them being more or less around the point that they're at this season and that's about as much as you can expect and certainly Honda would would take that compared to what they've been through since 2015. Yeah exactly and also while we're on Toro Rosso and Brendan Hartley I guess encouraging to see him have some wheel-to-wheel battles as well even though he didn't end up in the points so you know solid race for Toro Rosso in that respect. Yeah I think that Hartley again he's a He's getting some momentum up, and after that crash he did have at um, Silverstone, he's probably turned a corner, and he just seems a lot uh, more relaxed or something about his nature. It looks like he finally feels like he does belong there, and I guess maybe a bit of pressure is um, off his shoulders with um, the promotion of of Gasly to Red Bull. He'd be hoping he'll get to at least keep one of those seats at Toro Rosso, and perhaps he just knows with a secure future that he can just um, go out there and enjoy himself. Yeah, exactly. So round that pretty much rounds out what was a pretty interesting race, of course. Um, the late hour that we've got to watch them all at. Uh, excuse us for complaining about this for the umpteenth time this season. But um, before we move things on, drivers of the day, um, I guess Bottas commendable for the job he did to get to p4 but for me sebastian vettel just um the race that he needed ferrari needed the championship needed and just the way he won it was a vintage vettel performance to dominate by 10 seconds yeah gotta give credit to him really um he's probably been a bit maligned this season as perhaps not always executing but but when he does he's really quite sublime and then even hamilton his sentiments afterwards you genuinely seemed flustered by um just that that swagger that ferrari seems to have uh, reached now and again just the the pressure that's off for them after misfiring those last few and again the significance of the occasion for vettel himself um significant all around yeah so uh we'll come on hamilton's comments in a moment anyway now we'll go into the digest and yeah basically hamilton after the race as i wrote in my article um today that he was left quivering you could say uh, at the um, behest of the ferrari but um yeah he came out and said that you know they've got some trick things happening on their car and Immediately, the implication was that he felt that uh, Ferrari were cheating, whereas, um, you know, Hamilton sort of clarified those comments and said, oh, it's, it wasn't that I was trying to say. It was more so that um, they've got a trick thing on their car, like a special thing to make their, like, party mode or whatever that Mercedes used to have. And that clarification seemed a little interesting. And then we had Charlie Whiting come out after the race and dismiss those comments just 
pretty much laughing them off, saying, you know, the Ferrari's pretty much operating in the given parameters and everything. And it's not the first time this season this has happened because I think it was after Monaco where that whole ERS thing was being investigated, the double batteries that they're supposedly using, but they're not. Yeah, it seems as though that previously cordial relation between Ferrari and, and Mercedes has soured as um, it's become apparent particularly to the latter there that Ferrari's quite serious about this title bit after after last year they've taken it up to another level and and for Hamilton himself um, doesn't help his reputation that every time he doesn't get victory there's some sort of um, sour milk sentiment like we saw what happened after Britain as well it just it's not a great look regardless of whether he, he does have a point but it would seem that if Whiting who's probably run through the cars with a fine tooth comb if he says there's nothing to it then we just need to move on yeah exactly and um see what happens this time out as well but interesting comments from lewis hamilton as far as just the general feeling about how ferrari's going at the moment you know he's saying that now that they've got the power on the straights you know the circuits that they normally do well at like singapore you know they're going to be doing strongly here at um, Monza next weekend and Mexico which is another power sensitive track and then circuits like Singapore which they typically are really strong at Ferrari it's going to be very hard to find a circuit now where Mercedes are naturally dominant and um, yeah it could be Ferrari the favourites going into every weekend now. And even Red Bull at particular circuits such as Singapore you can expect them to be right on the game and a bit of misfortune lately almost every week and it seems one if not both cars suffering with reliability or some other misfortune but with Ricardo taking that penalty for for Monza he hopefully has placed himself to to capitalize and maybe get it could be his last opportunity to win a race for Red Bull as well yeah indeed so moving it on um new deal looking likely for Kimi Raikkonen and as you said last week what if it's a multi-year stint that he gets now um heading into 2021 potentially that's when Charles Leclerc will be chosen so I guess uh, you know seemed a bit would have been a bit unfair, you could say, if he was uh, turfed at the end of this year. It should be it should be his decision, I think, at, at that age now, that if he wants to retire, he should re- be given the choice, not forced out like, you know, it was suggested. Even though that it'd be exciting to have Leclerc in the car, I think Kimi should be able to bow out on his own terms. And he's only improved, really, particularly since um, Vettel joined. He He's always had the poor luck, but in terms of um, his... His confidence and and just showing on any given lap, particularly, he's as quick as anyone. And really, it was just again a case on the weekend of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And if things had gone a little differently, uh, I think pole could have been his. And who knows from there what he might have done off the line, just getting bogged down in all that drama. It, it just hasn't gone his way. But you can see that he's now at a point where he does warrant the seat, whereas even 12 months ago, a stronger case could have been made for Leclerc. Yeah, it definitely could have been. But um, at sort of before the mid-season break, I was leaning towards Leclerc and saying, you know, it should be about the future for Ferrari. But then at the same time, having had a rethink, it's like, well, Kimi's not really done much wrong here. So, you know, it'd be nicer if he was given the the option or he chooses to bow out on his own terms. And then, you know, Leclerc can only benefit from having another year or two um, 
with someone like a Sauber or as you keep saying, maybe a shift up to Haas or whatever. So, you know, I guess it's it's just a matter of, you know, when Kimi feels he's ready to, to retire and that would be, you know, if he can win a race or two in, in that time before, then it would be really good to see. You know, just take a win at this point since it's been such a long time, but it would be nice for him to, to sign off again on his terms. Yeah, because we already know that Alonso's retiring potentially with an, a not another win to come for him in F1. So, um, yeah, for Kimi, we don't want to see that um, happen to him either. Um, elsewhere in the world, we had IndyCar on over the weekend, back-to-back after what happened uh, the week before, and it was uh, Aussie Will Power who took the victory at the gateway. So, and in terms of the champion, He's still a mathematical chance, but um, you can really see it's just a two-horse race between Scott Dixon and Alexander Rossi, who, finishing second on the weekend, he was able to reduce the gap down to 29 points with two races yet to to be uh, run. Yeah, you can see that um, he's on a bit of a a hot streak lately, but Dixon, I guess, probably um, just going about his business there. He's still got that handy buffer, and you can see Will Power. He's probably a little bit later to the... The party, but he's been remaining competitive since since that title. He finally broke through for a few years ago. So who knows what will happen in 2019? But as far as the spectacle of Indy does go, as we discussed last episode, that uh, it's looking like a very bright future if they can lure someone like Alonso there. I think its profile's really um, on the up, particularly um, the last year or so. And then you have stuff like what happens with with Wiccans. It's naturally going to receive attention, but you can see that it's returning to that level where it was at its height in the the 80s and 90s. Yeah, getting back to the old champ car days um, and whatnot when guys like Nigel Mansell and um, Marco Andretti as well were... Uh, Ma- sorry, Michael <laughs> Michael Andretti. Marco, he's this, not quite that, this, that rough around the edges just yet. They, they all have Mario, Marco, Michael. You know, it's hard not to get confused with those names. But, um, yeah, you know, taking it back to those heights and whatnot. And even talk, you know, always talk about... When they'll come back to Australia you know do they run on the Gold Coast again maybe a new circuit you know road course like the um the new Bend circuit as well in Adelaide what if IndyCar came over there that'd be something interesting to see so yeah we'll see what happens with two races to go in that championship disappointing in MotoGP over the weekend the British Grand Prix eventually they had to cancel it because of the the rain, the downpour, um, the fact that Silverstone, the resurfacing hasn't really aided in the drainage of the circuit. It was just a lot of standing water, which on a MotoGP, on a bike, it's just a lot more dangerous to, to do to race than if you're in a Formula One car. Yeah, and you can see as far as that goes for for MotoGP, more of a traditional Formula One circuit, it reignites that that debate, not that that was the the reason for for what occurred, and we know at um, the British Grand Prix for F1, it was a stunning weekend all around, um, similar to 2010 when I was on hand, and really just that peak summer. But this time, I guess you can see the the way that it's almost there by by default since this Welsh circuit wasn't uh, ready to go, even though it's been in the pipelines for so many and years. And then they didn't go to end up going to Donington, which was the fallback for it, didn't end up uh, getting the money together to host the race. So Silverstone was sort of the third third um, choice in that respect. You can't blame them in that regard. They were at least willing to provide that um, 
the host for the the actual British event itself, but if that was the last time they do visit, it's not going to be very fond memories for them. Not at all, and the fact that we've lost a race now uh, in the championship battle, any chance that uh, an outsider had of taking down Marc Marquez, it's pretty much gone. And a shame they can't accommodate perhaps a an alternate race on a spare weekend or even if it was possible at the end of the season to make sure they don't lose out. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, two logistics. races into Valencia weekend, a Saturday and Sunday race, do it World Superbike style. So, yeah, that's a bit disappointing in that respect. But, um, yeah, let's move it on, talk about supercars now and the Ben Super Sprint, which we had on over the weekend too. A lot of motorsport, which was good to see. And just to kick off the talking points, I guess, it's just nicer and refreshing to see we've got a new circuit in australia not a street track but an actual permanent facility and could it be the best new circuit in australia you know it's challenging the drivers loved it um as far as facilities are concerned as well 130 million dollars went into the development of this place and you know it could definitely be one to attract um big events now you were talking about the potential of you know uh it hosting an endurance race in the future uh in for supercars that is but you know we've already had gt there australian gt championship this year what if we can get some international gt events happening maybe world endurance championship even yeah tied in even with the spectacle of other events like the supercars and already the ceos come out and race it as a candidate to um, if not replace Sandown as a, an enduro round and even an additional event, you can see it has that big scale potential there, and it would it would certainly be attractive to perhaps international types who want to uh, try their hand here. And and as far as the sports car spectacle, it probably lend itself more greatly to that than um, open wheel F1 style. Maybe maybe IndyCar is more appropriate, or dare we say, Formula E, something like that would well, be. Well, Formula E can't because they only race on street tracks. So oh, so is that a mandate that they have to race? Yeah, on it's a street. Streets? It's a street championship. Oh, well, on that case, rule that one out. But um, you know, you're going to get lots of categories probably outside of F1 that. That really, um, as far as world-class venues go, this is one that would be a, an immediate fit if they're looking at expanding. Yeah, exactly. So that was, I guess, the big point, talking point from the weekend, just how fascinating the circuit was and, you know, just very challenging. And they only raced on the, the international circuit, which was the shorter of the variants. It's a 7.7-kilometre endurance layout as well, which I'm sure you'll have fond memories thinking back to the Bahrain <laughs> endurance track that they had. So, um, yeah, you know, if they ever get to use that for anything, that'd be interesting to see. But as far as the racing went on track, so we had uh, basically a Red Bull sweep over the weekend. So Shane Van Gisbergen wins on Saturday. Jamie Wincup wins on Sunday. And he had the two pole positions too. And um, they've just been on a hot streak, has Red Bull and also Shane Van Gisbergen. He's won four races in a row. Um, no, sorry, three races in a row uh, coming out of Ipswich, then the Sydney Super Night event, and now here at Taylor Bend. And he's got a 19-point lead in the championship now. So it's the first time since Phillip Island, uh, Scotty McLaughlin has not led the championship and he himself I guess the next talking point he's got, he's gone missing you could say he's I guess lack of speed lack of confidence but sixth and tenth over the weekend for him at the bend um, four races since he's actually won now um, you know this is the crucial time of the year now and to have lost the championship lead he's got to get it back as soon as he can yeah probably not the worst time for him to have a little blip if he can 
get his head back in the game for the Enduros and, and snag at least victory at one of those events. It's going to go a, a long way, but we do know that um, Triple Eight uh, does come alive, particularly in the Enduro season, so they've really hit their stride at the right moment, but I wouldn't go um, riding off McLaughlin by any stretch at this point. He's still at least thereabouts. It's not like he's at the back of the grid and, and completely sacrificing that hard-earned lead he had until very recently. But if it's a confidence thing, then you've got to hope that he gets that back as soon as possible because, yeah, you know, those endurance races, there's a lot of points up for grabs and I guess reuniting with his old teammate Alex Premer as well, you know, those two have got to be firing because um, Van Gisbergen is in a red-hot streak of form at the moment and being united with Earl Bamber, it's going to be interesting to see how those guys go. And Jamie Wincup and Paul Dumbrell, we all know, are handy operators too. So, yeah, it's going to be big for McLaughlin, this enduro campaign. And Because um, I don't think he actually... Did he? He might have won one of the Gold Coast races, but, yeah, he Sandown finished uh, on the podium. Bathurst, of course, DNF... Um, to his name and then uh, just the race one race of victory at Gold Coast and the two leg races that they had so yeah you know he's going to have to win as you say at least one of the big races this time yeah just think for him it's just a bit of a break now anyway before the Enduros so he can just reset and he's still in a good position there so um, as much as the other guys have done it before for him he's hungry enough so um, definitely definitely not putting a line through him no not at all uh that's definitely one thing we don't want to do at this point in the year so yeah enduro season almost upon us a couple of weeks to wait and we'll have plenty to talk about it's our favorite time of the year for supercars as well so let's go straight into our monza preview then and um we've already touched on it before the homer ferrari the tifosi and they're actually entering this year as the clear favorites too and um lewis hamilton having bemoaned that trick engine in spa or is that just desperation from mercedes trying to clutch at straws given that ferrari are now clearly ahead and this is a circuit as we've said that has been a mercedes fortress because of the fact they've had the best power unit now that ferrari have it you know can it be their weekend to own i think really uh, the signs are there they'll come out strongly just hoping looking at the skies that nothing intervenes as it's done now three three weekends in a row for the the f1 season that is at least so i think that um vettel's probably gonna be pretty keen there to get one on the board and, and make up in a way for, for what he missed out on at, at germany and this one would also mean a lot and it's been a while since the ferrari did win it at italy uh, 2010 i believe the last time so it's been a while between drinks but that that said again hamilton's been strong here in the past and this is one for them where you know if mercedes do jag a victory again it goes back to where we were heading into belgium and you're thinking ah oh, well even though they haven't got the best car they're still making it happen so i think it's pretty important that ferrari follows through and just keeps that momentum with consecutive victories, something they haven't done actually since the opening rounds, believe it or not. Yeah, going back to Australia, Bahrain, but you know, theoretically, if they win this weekend and then Singapore is a given as well, you know, if they string together three consecutive wins, that's going to be definitely a telling sign. And yeah, as you said, they've not won at Monza since 2010. And for a German driver to win for Ferrari at Monza, I think it'd be quite special as well. And um, Seb himself has had three wins, including that special one of 2008, which he did for an Italian team. So at least he can um, 
hold that to his credit that he's won at Monza before for an Italian team, but to win for the Italian team in Ferrari, I think that'll be something that, yeah, we talk about how Spa was special, equaling or going beyond Prost's record. Um, if he can win here at Monza for Ferrari, I think that'll definitely be a career highlight for him. Who knows, maybe Gasly will do 10 years on with his contract in his pocket for Red Bull after joining halfway through last season. You'll repeat history there and maybe it'll be a whitewash and he'll he'll benefit and claim a miraculous pole and go on, take victory and suddenly he'll be all the rage of the town. Yeah, first Frenchman to win a Grand Prix since... <laughs> Even I can't remember now. Maybe Olivier Panis or someone like that. Probably it was Panis, yeah. It wasn't Jean Alacy, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, so that'll be interesting to see. But please, let's not hope for rain for once. Let's have a, a dry weekend there at Monza. So, yeah, as far as Mercedes is concerned, it's been a fortress of theirs since 2014. Hamilton's won three of the last four there. So, and he's had four wins in total anyway, um, including that one for McLaren in 2012. So, it is a circuit that he excels at, but yeah, just I guess the pressure that'll be on him and Ferrari just have the pressure of the crowd to deliver as well. Yeah, I think for, for both of them, they've got their own reasons there, and I just think it'd be nice to have a a clean fight as much as we, we did have one, I guess, on Sunday at Belgium, the way that Vettel drove away in convincing fashion. It'd just be nice to, to see him perhaps uh, ram home that advantage if not to to use David Croft's oft-touted psychological advantage. It would really do a lot to inflict that that pain if they're both there on merit and Vettel can just show that um, he's able to, to get the job done. Exactly. And um, Red Bull, I guess, are they going to be left in the top two's wake, you could say? They certainly had no answer to Ferrari or Mercedes in Belgium, given the even in the wet conditions, they really weren't anywhere with Max Verstappen qualifying seventh. So, and Daniel Ricciardo, of course, as you mentioned earlier, grid penalties again this weekend. And he's just had rotten luck, you could say, in 2018, even though he's won two races. Um, he's had five DNFs now in total, with three of those coming in the past five races. And um, he's had not... Well, he's not stood on the podium since his win in Monaco. So basically, yeah, you know, is his career at Red Bull going to sort of peter out in the back half of the season? Or, as you say, can he at least bag another win um, before he departs for Renault? I think all parties there have checked out on regards to, to this season's potential they've got those three victories but outside of that they've really fallen short of the mark largely that does seem to be due to Renault imploding almost every weekend and that talk of the upgrades perhaps being faster but still unreliable so that will be <laughs> music to Red Bull's ears as though they've not been through enough and Red Bull will be looking forward to partnering up with Honda and I'm sure that uh, Ricardo would just like to move on to Renault and, and start afresh and, and hope that they continue their own development. Yeah, and I guess it'd be just nice for Dan to go out with some good results under his belt just to, as a, you know, to part ways on good terms and everything, given that Red Bull were the ones who gave him the opportunity to come into Formula One. And, you know, let's not hope it peters out like Sebastian Vettel's tenure did in 2014, where I think... Um, didn't even podiums. I think what was his last podium for Red Bull? I don't. It might have been Singapore or or Japan. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, two or three, and that was it. 
Yeah, so really nothing, uh, you don't want it to end up like that, that's for sure. So Nico Hulkenberg, of course, cops a 10 place grid penalty for that first lap chaos, um, for initiating that chaos at Spa. Does this mean with Renault sort of out of the picture, who knows where Carlos Sainz will be, but um, does this mean Haas will be the best place midfield team this weekend? Ferrari engine in the back of there, Ferrari are the best at the moment. Could we see uh, consecutive races where both Haas cars are in the point? Yeah, just be a sign of how far they have come now that both cars are are active. You can say for Grosjean again that idea whether it's too late and and all those rumours spinning. It could be Perez, it could be Leclerc, it could be someone completely different who might be out of a out of a seat the way these musical chairs are moving. But it's just good for them that they've really they look like they now belong as a as a two-car team and, and who knows where they'll shape up in the ultimate constructors well, race it's taken two and a half years to become a two-car team so <laughs> but um going back to the musical chairs what you're saying as well um could there be driver changes on hand for this weekend we haven't heard anything yet but um that idea of a stroll being put into the force india as soon as possible where does <coughs> sorry where does that leave esteban ocon uh stoffel van dorn as well um if ocon ends up going to mclaren will it happen this weekend will it happen next weekend it's just it's just the th- musical chairs that just doesn't stop uh the game just never ends at this stage yeah at least this weekend it'll be a, a status quo but i think singapore would be quite logical if, if it all falls into place as much as a shame it will be for particularly or at least one of Ocon or Van Dorn, it might be hard to see them seeing out the season if not with the current team if they're not able to shift sideways then it would be a shame particularly for for Ocon who's shown so much potential but um, that just again highlights the, the fickle nature of F1 it's not about who's the most worthy it's just about who's got the biggest pockets and given the fact that Ocon had that stellar weekend in Belgium as well qualified third and then of course in the race as well scoring that haul of points for the new racing points force India um, if he isn't able to see out the season anywhere this season it will be uh, just travesty whatever words you want to use um to describe it so yeah we haven't heard anything yet for monza weekend as you say it'll probably be status quo but i wouldn't be surprised if there is something announced this evening for example yeah i don't know if it'll be that immediate for for this weekend but you'd think that singapore at the latest it's going to be on and whether we see robert kubitzer in a in a ride for the balance of the season that'll be great in itself but probably can't expect too much from that end considering where williams is at but i guess i guess it's something to look forward to um even if it's at the expense of others in the the cog yeah exactly so a lot to look forward to this weekend with monza it's always a special race i guess and if ferrari can pull off the wind then yeah it'll be all the more special um quickly just to finish things off today the our sporting moments of the week even though it hasn't really been a full week yet since we did our last podcast but um if there's anything that stood out to you in the time since i guess it's uh, time to talk about it oh just that relief for, for collingwood they just snuck over the line and locked in that top four presence and they get the much um required week off there to, to cool their heels with so many players walking wounded and make that uh, return trip back to to Optus Stadium, at least they're better for for the experience last weekend. And if that was one of their worst performances, there's a there's a lot of potential there if they can be back on song as they were the week 
before and they get that double chance and regardless of where they do end up it's been a, a pass mark on, on where they were exceeding expectations greatly and uh, a finals victory at any point I think that'd that'd be um, real uh, really a big takeaway for the season well now that given that they've made it to the playoffs it's you know you say it's already a pass mark but once you make your team makes it into the playoffs there's always that desire to see them go as far as they can it's like it was for me 12 months ago with the Cowboys and then win after given that they had to actually get there the long way and actually play four games uh, through the playoffs um, you know, it's just like each week you think, oh, they're going to be knocked out. But then when they're in that commanding position to win, it's like, yes, they can do it again for the next week. And given that you guys, if um, you win next week over in the West, you get that week off and only have to play three games theoretically, um, you know, the potential is there for something good to happen come the end of September. Yeah, in a way, it wouldn't really phase face too many Collingwood fans or the club itself um, if they did drop that game against West Coast uh, wouldn't be surprising being the toughest trip to make and the fact they've had this week off keeping up momentum there they'd probably want to just keep on with it and I'm sure a lot of those plays in contention will be uh, right to go as it is by then if not uh, for the second week if if they don't get up but if they do prevail then perhaps some that a touch and go will get that extra week to to really rest up and be raring to go for what would be an amazing home preliminary final and that would really put the ball in their court yeah definitely would be one to attend if it actually happens hopefully but um on my end i guess not really a moment more so something to look forward to this weekend given that it's the great jt's final um nrl game and it's just a shame that it is going to be his final game, given that the Cowboys are not in the actual playoffs in that um, in that code. So, you know, against the Gold Coast Titans up there on the Gold Coast itself, um, it will be in Queensland, I guess, his uh, home turf. But, yeah, just, I guess, as we touched on last week, it's sort of sad that um, this season hasn't been the Cinderella story that you would have hoped for the Cowboys and especially to send the great man himself out um, as a winner they can win the final game and hopefully not finish on the bottom of the ladder but yeah the fact that they're not contesting the finals it's just a bit of a, a bit of a letdown but you know great career regardless for uh, the great Jonathan Thurston who will definitely become an immortal I'm sure in the not too distant future at least you got to come back after that shoulder injury and get to give a proper farewell lap this season and he clearly clearly he's achieved enough across um representative uh, levels internationally for his state and for his his club to um to know that he's content with what he's achieved from the sport and as far as enigmas go i guess it'll that'll be the greatest loss to the competition yeah you will miss that laugh that's for sure but uh, if he ends up doing some media work i'm sure we'll hear we'll be hearing that kookaburra laugh from him uh, on a regular basis so um hopefully that is the case but yeah anyway um time to wrap things up Looking forward, of course, to the race this weekend and um, we'll be back next week to wrap up Monza for you. Yeah, who knows what to expect, but if Ferrari wins, I think um, the the roof will be close to, to going off for a lot of fans. They'll finally be convinced. Yeah, they'll be finally convinced and there'll be a two-week two, two week hangover before we get to Singapore. So uh, until then, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time. Till then.